You're listening to Big Shiny Takes, Canada's only anti-free speech podcast. I am one of your hosts, uh, Canada's favorite Brock Harrison lookalike, Eric Wickham, joined, as always, by my friend Jeremy Appel. Hello. And my other friend, Marino Greco. Also, hello. <laughs> and we have we have a very special guest today, um, one of Mes- Medicine Hat's finest, Scott Schmitz. Scott, I, how are you doing? I would also like to say hello. <laughs> well, today we have a very special Alberta-centric episode, so we thought it would be very, very appropriate to have you on. Um, I know you have another podcast with uh, with you know the incomparable Mo Cranker. Uh, Arendale, Spitfire's <laughs> finest, and uh, this other fucker named Jeremy. But uh, <laughs> He's we're ass. so happy to have you on. <laughs> we got we got serious problems with that Jeremy. We like this Jeremy better. I I understand. Yeah, believe me, I like your Jeremy <laughs> better too. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be covering two very very Alberta centric uh, columns that were published in the National Post today, and. As someone who doesn't live in Alberta, I, I feel like kind of like an outsider looking in on this this thing. You lucky fucker. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the question I have is, what the hell is going on in Alberta? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> such a fucking open-ended question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on in Alberta. Never dull living here. That's <laughs> that that's for certain, and. I think what's happening in Alberta is a culmination of something that's been going on since oil was discovered in, uh, was it Nisku, Scott? Uh, In Alberta, I just know it's near Leduc. That's all I know. Nisku's near Leduc. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. So it's in Nisku. And and Alberta has uh, since then become a province that is so uh, overwhelmingly dependent on this non-renewable resource that is going out. There's this sort of sense of Alberta identity that mm-hmm. goes back to you know the the first Trudeau, first Trudeau at least that is that the Eastern Canadian establishment is against us and. We need to stand up to them. It started off as maybe, you know, um, I don't want to say pride in, in the, the province or what we had here or whatever, but it's become pr- pr- a protection aspect, right? Like we, we feel like we need to protect this um, thing that we're entirely entitled to, which is most people that live in Alberta now, like with all due respect are here because their parents fucked here and now they were that's how they ended up here like you're not you're not like you're not fucking special because someone long before you existed drew some lines and in between those lines you happen to be born and underneath the ground is this insanely profitable resource and so they had this Obviously, Alberta's had a massive sense of entitlement to that, and in a lot of ways, they won that with that entitlement, right? Like we we successfully sort of kept our own hands on our resources, right? After Trudeau's supposed attempt to to go national with it, which you know we can get into another time too, but um, we uh, we kind of successfully did that, and then what did we do? We squandered it all away. 
And now we're actually at a place where it's no longer sort of a dip, like a like a ebb in the flow. It is now mm-hmm. like maybe no more booms are coming. Like this is the peaks are gone. We're in a valley, and that valley is staying. And we don't know what the fuck to do except for be angry. Yeah, and so logically, the Alberta government is taking steps away from the oil and gas industry and and looking at renewables now. Correct. correct. Yeah, well, absolutely. Like, we embrace reality in Alberta, like, with with open arms, and we're like, listen, we got to look in the mirror and and solve some problems. Fuck, man. Like, all I know, Jim Jim Prentice told Albertans to look in the mirror, and a couple years later, he died in a plane crash. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Damn. Uh, I'd never thought of that before, and uh, somebody should investigate. Uh, a certain local newspaper uh, oh, no. that has become the uh, the voice of reason, uh, at least as it's Yeah, because there's so many that. people other than myself at the news that are just rushing out to do this. Like, you were there, and then it was you and I, and the Medicine Hat News got this, like, insane reputation for being this, like, progressive independent newspaper. I was like, well, it's not exactly what's going on, you know. It's kind of, I mean, we, we we just happen to have like they let us do it. I don't know like why they let us do it, but they do let us do it. But you know, this idea that the medicine at news was like this fucking beacon of like we're all sitting in a room like how can we? No, it's not happening. I do want to clarify for the the people that aren't in on Alberta politics that I was lying about the Alberta government uh, <laughs> taking a step back on oil and gas and investing in renewables they've uh they have doubled down so hard that it doesn't matter if oil and gas is um um trading negative they're gonna still be investing in it um it's a good and, time to buy some of the, yeah it's a great time to buy, <laughs> great time to buy. um but but i mean one of the one of the columns that i think got uh the Medicine Hat News, a, a little bit of notoriety was uh, something that Jeremy wrote about the Alberta War Room. Do you guys want to explain exactly what that is? Yeah, so um, based on this sense of entitlement, and now we see we're not getting what we think we're entitled to, you need to find a villain, right? Mm-hmm. It can't be us, right? We're not at fault. It's some other external force. So that's where you get into uh, this conspiracy theorist. Uh, have you heard of a cat named Vivian Krause? Mm, yeah, in passing, I've heard of Vivian Krause. Yeah, so she's this BC-based uh, blogger, I guess you could say, who's written about how environmental NGOs are funded by like these huge interests, like the Rockefellers. And what they're trying to do is destroy the oil and gas industry to benefit the U.S. oil and gas industry. So this is some really, like, tinfoil hat shit, um, which is, of course, endorsed by the premier. I, I think now, now there, there are some efforts to distance themselves from her. Like, what would be the thing that makes them decide, like, oh, okay, now we're, we're anti-Vivian Gross. They fucking love her, but... The, the the war the war room is I, like how do you explain what that is? That's what I don't understand. Like I was laughing when he asked. Yeah, like, well, there's no well, explanation for something of this yeah. nature. So so based on this uh, these blog posts, 
uh, Jason Kenney started uh, touting her as a great researcher that we all need to look into and that if he's premier, he's going to do two things. He's going to launch an inquiry into this foreign-funded attack on environmentalists, which keeps getting extended past its deadline. And they recently changed its mandate not to see what foreign interests are looking at, are trying to uh, keep uh, Alberta's oil and gas industry down through environmentalists, but whether they're actually doing that. Oh, just a minor change. Yeah, so that's great. But he also announced a war room to combat (laughs) misinformation about our ethical oil that is dirtier than, like, everyone else's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not coming from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And And, and so uh, so they announced it. And once the war room, like, uh, was established, I mean, it immediately became the laughingstock of the country. Uh, Certainly of Alberta. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I would imagine... Though that the the war room stuff, like their plagiarized logo, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. re- posing as reporters, Scott, we can't hear you. Sorry, it's a good thing that COVID showed up and got us off of that. And uh, not that it's a good thing COVID showed up, but like it's a good thing we all got off that fucking war room because, like, we were the only thing that was like we as in the media was really the only thing that was giving them the war room any like. Uh, publicity anymore anyway like they were they'd just get themselves into trouble by existing but once you kind of realize that they only had a couple thousand followers on social media and like nobody was paying attention to them anyway they just now they've kind of fucking gone away like they're like it's i mean i don't even know if they're paying them anymore but like what three million bucks or something but they are they they put it on hold at the beginning of COVID, and I don't think any I don't know that anyone looked into like is uh, it back? Yeah, I don't know what what happened with that mm, story. I, I know they were like um, cutting it by ninety percent for a temporary thing. Yeah, um, but in any event, I think they said that they were switching to combating misinformation, like uh, demanding <laughs> a response to an op-ed I wrote uh, mocking them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think now they're focused on just buying ads to tell people how great and ethical our oil is because we're not Saudi Arabia, we're not a third world country essentially, yeah, um, yeah. which is a very good distinction to have. Not being a third world country, like it yeah. might it might look like a laughing stock on its own, but its very first battle from the war room was Jeremy in medicine hat fucking alberta like that's their yeah. first missile me? that's the first <laughs> missile and so like immediately like we blew up for a lot of reasons on that like it was a fucking great editorial and nobody writes scathing shit about conservative governments out here but like the idea that this war room for 30 million bucks that was going to go after all this like outside Alberta misinformation, the very first thing they did was try to take on this foreign radical from the southeast corner of their own fucking province. <laughs> like yeah. it was embarrassing. And then like it, the timing was amazing. Oh, and I, I, I just wanted to say before we move on um, yeah. that the foreign funded conspiracy was uh thoroughly debunked by sandy garasino at the national observer 
Um, and so her piece is worth checking out, and I'll link to it in the show notes. 100%. But, a nice palate cleanser for the things we're about to dive into. Yeah. So let's let's talk a bit. So I think Scott and I have sort of set the tone for you about uh, mm-hmm. what's happening in Alberta and why Alberta is the way it is. Now let's talk a bit about uh, the way Alberta is. <laughs> um, so exciting. So have you guys heard of a little movement called uh, Wexit? Yeah, it's it's like a Brexit, which we all know stands for British Exit, which is Britain leaving the European Union. But um, Wexit would be Alberta and any other province dumb enough to join them, leaving the Dominion of Canada. Correct. Yeah, yeah, something like that. There are different variations on it, right? Like the the I would say the people who are actively involved in the Wexit movement. Are v- that's a very, very small amount of the population. <laughs> but the problem is that in the mainstream, particularly uh, Jason Kenney, but also, as we'll see in the media, um, it's being given this legitimacy and seriousness that is troublingly reminiscent of the way the British tabloids manufactured consent for Brexit. Now, there should be like a disclaimer here about how this works here, because there is like a actual Wexit movement and group like Peter Downing and this other fucking meathead that organized the um, anti-racism attacks in Red Deer. I don't know if you heard about those, but some absolute douchebag showed up to start throwing fists well the guy that organized that attack was uh, is a member like a pretty hardcore member of this wexit group as well not all most albertans like the vast majority of albertans are not interested in that particular group like exactly like that national unity on the other hand as we hear every fucking 10 minutes from a politician here is what what these the columns that we're going to read today are more sort of aimed at keeping those people uncertain about our place in Canada. Whether we leave or don't leave, it's about keeping, like this national unity conversation is just entirely about making sure we stay mad at Ottawa and the East Coast because if we don't do that, there's a chance we might actually look at what we've done to ourselves. Like we... In 2015, we, we we accidentally, right, as they say, elected the NDP. Well, that was actually a wake-up call <laughs> to the conservatives that, hey, maybe Alberta's got some people here that are willing to, like, face fucking reality and know that we made this bed. Like, we are in a problem that we created, right? And so mm-hmm. this is why I think, like, um, they're really going hardcore at making sure everybody's angry at the national unity. It's not so much about your average medicine hatter or whatever gives a fuck about Peter Downing or the... I can't even remember the guy's name from the Red Deer thing right now. Yeah, I can't. He's a loser. But, <laughs> but, but and, and their names shouldn't even leave our lips because that's how irrelevant they are. There's a huge difference between Albertans wanting to be part of this Wexit group and Albertans just perennially being pissed off at Ottawa. Yeah, mm. and it's playing into that anger that's already there. Just as Brexit in the UK was playing to, I mean, because they had focus groups, right? Like, can you imagine Boris Johnson running a focus group? 
<laughs> but anyways, and 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 but but they found um, that there were deep seated grievances in Britain about immigration and Britain's like declining role in the world, and they played that up, and they were able to turn something that was a fringe joke into a mainstream movement that like i mean they haven't even got a deal they still haven't got a deal yeah boris yeah, and, won and, the election saying uh they were gonna have brexit for christmas yeah and and i do think like you have to look at the media's complicity in that i mean you, you have to look at organizations like cambridge analytica and the the digital marketing that they did to to get these these you know some would call them lies about britain and about the eu in front of people that are easily influenced to vote a certain way but i think the tabloids giving the idea of brexit credence paved the way for for it to happen so so i mean these uh these columns showing up in a national paper it's not a good feeling they are pretty funny though so um, (laughs) did you guys want to read one of them well yeah i i i I, i'm not gonna read them but i just want to say off the bat that it's there's this new book coming out called moment of truth how to think about alberta's future and it's a collection of essays by you know these fourth-rate propagandists uh jack mintz is one of the contributors who you may know as the only economist who's ever existed according to conservatives (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, a bunch of nobodies, but they're giving space in a national newspaper to try and explain to the rest of Canada how Alberta is being persecuted. And as the United Conservative government here and the Federal Conservatives Alberta caucus does, say people may want to separate if you don't join us in doubling down on a sundowning industry. Okay, so which one do we want to do we want to tackle first? Uh I think Jeremy's uh discussion about that moment of truth book, we should start with this one by Ted Morton, which is actually excerpt from that book. And they, they is, both uh, are. They are, but they both are? Oh yeah, yeah. but let's what? do the Ted Morton one first anyway cuz it's yeah. it actually talks about the why like why this guy thinks Ottawa and Edmonton don't. Well, French people, apparently. I don't read the column. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, this is... This is uh, I couldn't this... hold my wad there. <laughs> the, uh, the entire idea behind this piece, I feel like, is the we're just different people. These lines that we drew in this patch of dirt make us different. So, uh, so why bother? We're not going to learn French. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Man, what are you, kidding <laughs> So, I'll take us in. Uh, this is by uh, Ted Morton, and it's in the National Post. It's called The Great Divide Between Edmonton and Ottawa. The distance between Alberta and Ottawa is not just geographic. His little uh, secondary deck. My God, these National Post articles just have so many like lead-ups and subheads. Alberta wants a fair deal from Canada, but it can't seem to get one. <laughs> should, it, sh- should it build a firewall? Stop trying? Separate? This is one of a series of opinion pieces adapted from the new book, Moment of Truth, How to Think About Alberta's Future, in which some of Canada's most respected <laughs> thinkers hmm, on, the subject de- uh, on the subject debate what the best next steps are for Alberta. 
and for Canada. Canada's most respected thinkers. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot in that italicized <laughs> kicker. I mean, the way that they're like, build a firewall, stop trying, buy a boat, <laughs> separate? Like, that's like the last thing, you know? Like, it's just like, they're just throwing ideas at the wall. Like, which one do they really want you to focus on? And then, also, the first sentence, Alberta wants a fair deal from Canada. What does a fair deal look like to these people? Well, Uh, (laughs) it's funny you should ask, because Jason Kenney created a fair deal panel to (laughs) go around the country and ask Albertans what a fair deal means to them. And none other than our superstar MLA, Drew Barnes, a close friend of Scott's. We're we're, we're pretty close, yeah. Yeah, sat on that. panel a lot of this fair deal stuff is about equalization right like other provinces equalization we send all this money to ottawa like we we pay high we pay more in taxes per person because we make a lot more money than other provinces right so the good news for drew barnes is is if we keep doubling down on this fucking dying industry we're going to be needing equalization (laughs) transfers pretty fucking fast in alberta so don't don't worry about it man the deal's about to be pretty fair (laughs) amazing Marina you want to take us in now so uh, I think uh, imaginary grievances is a great uh, jumping off point as we dive in so Ted starts the distance between Alberta and Ottawa is not just geographic it is also linguistic an Albertan visiting the national capital quickly discovers that the locals speak a different language and if you ever get the opportunity to work in Ottawa, as I did in 2000, <laughs> you discover that the gap between yourself and the most of and most of the civil servants is more than just geographic and linguistic. It's also ideological. And it's uh, one more example of how that was a minor annoyance 30 years ago. Uh, today, it is yet another barrier for Alberta, Albertan and Western Canadian concerns to get a fair hearing. I, I appreciate how upfront he is about the fact that they're just recycling 30-year-old grievances <laughs> and just repackaging them for the modern era. That, that is uh, refreshing, in my view. What do you think, Scott? I, uh, it hits all the talking points that like, you would expect it to hit in like, the opening paragraph. It's like, Andy, like, it's like barfed up nonsense, but I just love that he fucking went there 20 years ago and was like just basically (laughs) intimidated by all these french-speaking fucking like elites or something like "Ah, nobody wanted to talk about my tractor like i don't understand (laughs) the only edmonton oilers fan in ottawa i need to get out of here unbelievable (laughs) yeah you mean it's not like exactly like where i'm from what the fuck Uh, So uh, he goes on. When former Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau introduced official bilingualism in the civil service, it was sold as a language proficiency test. In practice, it has meant much more. As Trudeau's biographer Richard Gwynn observed in 1981, ooh, just the freshest takes, (laughs) bilingualism is, in truth, was nothing less than a social revolution. But... No, there's some ellipses here. Oh boy, no one in authority in Ottawa in the late 1960s dot 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 let on that massive change was about to happen. Gwynn understood that bilingualism was not just about language, but an ideology and a new mission statement for the federal government. If Gwynn understood that, why wouldn't he quote that? Uh, I was just going to say, like, if Gwynn understood that bilingualism was not just about language, but an ideology and a new mission statement for the federal government, why wouldn't he use uh, quote that didn't have three ellipses in it 
to illustrate that in that column. Yeah, that many ellipses. Like, I get one or two, but when you have three or more ellipses, that's very soft. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll have to do some uh, research on that later. Yeah, I want to find this book and see what it actually says. Its immediate effect has been to benefit the 16% of Canadians who are bilingual, two-thirds of them Francophones and nearly all from Central Canada. Because we know bilingualism doesn't encompass two languages, some of which only speak one of the languages. There's just mm-hmm. He's just focusing on this 16% of Canadians who are bilingual. I found that funny. There's a lot more people per like per capita in Quebec that can speak mm-hmm. English than outside of Quebec can speak French is all he's getting at. Like a lot of like I've been to Quebec uh... a few times and people in Quebec they can speak English if you can't if you don't have a fucking clue, right? Like they will switch to English and help you if you need to, right? So not <laughs> like here where like they can go to fucking Canadian tire and if they don't really know all the English, like the guy in the <laughs> Rake Isle is going to be able to just switch to his fucking immersion program. Like, if you go to Montreal and you're not totally 100% solid on your French, people will just cut you off and start speaking to you in English. I mean, I, I walked into Schwartz's, which is like the, the deli that like every tourist has to go to. Oh, I'm very familiar and, with Schwartz's. Oh, it's so good. It so was, good. Yeah, I, of course Schwartz's. I went there. It's like going to uh, Jerusalem. Yeah, for, for <laughs> it's exactly the same. Yeah. yeah, I would say it's about the exact same thing. Um, but I, I didn't even say anything. I just opened the door, and I, I guess I looked um, English speaking enough that the guy w- went, "Hey, what can I get you?" <laughs> je m'appelle Brock. <laughs> je m'appelle Brock. Uh, comment ça va? Uh, est-ce que je peux aller aux toilettes? Like, I feel like Schwartz's though is such a like tourist destination that obviously they're going to speak to all their guests in English. But mm-hmm. yeah, I did find that in Montreal, especially because they have two English universities. Um, there are a lot of people in government offices. There are a lot of people there who speak English yeah. better than a lot of Albertans do. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Canada has the most centralized civil service of all the English speaking democracies. Over 40% live in or near auto. I don't even know what that fucking means, dude. <laughs> we have we have more people that are silver servants that live near Ottawa than um, other countries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, why, why can't they, like... Fewer <laughs> civil servants in Australia live near Ottawa. It's bullshit. <laughs> what... Uh, over 40% of them live in or near Ottawa. 45 years ago, before official bilingualism, it was only about 25%. Is, is this, he's blaming the, the centralization of our civil service on bilingualism? Is that he's what that... No, he's 100% saying that because bilingualism was required to be a civil servant... Fewer people from the West are ended up being on civil mm. servants because we were too goddamn lazy to learn French. That's what he's fucking saying. Like that's what he's saying in this whole article is that like it's unfair that you should have to have be able to speak both. Like I don't understand. It's it's so ridiculous, man. This is why we're mad at Ottawa because you you don't want to learn French. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's their fault. And there's a reason Ottawa is situated where it is. 
And it's for yeah. precisely that reason that it's the intersection between French and English Canada. Like, bilingualism is a product of that reality. That reality was not, like, created by this ideology of bilingualism. This was this was 1981, right, Marino? That's what it said, 1981, right? The, the guys... Yeah. This, right, okay. So, 1981 is 39 fucking years ago. And you're still not, as far as I know, like my kid hasn't, like you're not even required to take French as like a core one one class. Like he hasn't taken a lick of French. He's in grade seven. Really? Really? Yes. Like in yes. Ontario, so you have had, to do it till, uh, till grade in, nine mandatory. In Saskatchewan, you started in grade, I started in the, like this is in the 80s. I started in grade four or five learning French and I learned French all the way through the end of high school. And so, like, it wasn't, there was immersion availability. I did course, it was only one class, but I still took it all the way through my grade school. And so, Alberta's had 39 years to say, like, hey, maybe we should just, like, make sure more of our children grow up bilingual. Anyways, but uh, geography is only half the story. Official bilingualism has enhanced the influence of a small and underrepresentative demographic of Canadians, Francophones, Anglophones, who chose to remain in Quebec, quote in brackets, a small minority, and the, mo- <laughs> and the more un- and the more educated upper middle classes of Ontario. Do you know how fucking hilarious that sounds? This that, are- that, that's not poorly. That's very poorly written, actually worded. Yeah, and also, it's very colonialist, you know? It's like he's talking about white people leaving South Africa. <laughs> it, it's like, yeah, it just yeah. it just changed, you know? It wasn't... And it makes me kind of want to become a paquiste. It makes me want to, like, move to Quebec and, like, uh, start the uh, Novu uh, FLQ. Nouveau? Nouveau, yeah, 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 no <laughs> hey, uh, See, I, I live in Alberta, so <laughs> like... has been here too long. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... Uh, not coincidentally, each of these groups is shrinking as a populate as a proportion of Canada's increasingly diverse and more Western population. This class becomes increasingly isolated, increasingly convinced it is the guardian of true Canadian values. Oh my god! <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> That's that's um the oh wow the the like lack of self awareness is just astonishing that he could type that out unironically and talk yeah. about like not Alberta. Um, nevertheless, the larger the government becomes, the more influential this group becomes. The trend is found in all modern welfare states. As the state grows, so too does the permanent bureaucracy. This quotes new class is powerful because it uh, has what elected politicians don't have. Job security and policy expertise. Oh my god, Jew. Just say you mean the Jews. <laughs> like, honestly, he's taking, like, like this is, this is a trope. He's just taking these anti-Semitic tropes about how the small clique of Jews are have their hands on the levers of government, but he's saying it about like Quebecois people. 
Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Well, permanent bureaucracy, I feel like, is a, a synonym for deep state. Like, that's what it that's what it feels like in this sentence. And then he also, like, he has the gall to use welfare states as, like, a pejorative for countries. Like, how dare a government actually look after human beings that live in that country? Well, and, like, I don't understand. Like, he's about to talk about how, like, um, these politicians come in and listen to the experts that are in these positions like you you become an expert at something and then like politicians that come and ask you like hey like what should we do here and then experts tell you what that's how fucking everything is governed <laughs> like what does he expect what does he think happens like that you get elected and you come in and you're like okay like what what problem we're we gonna fucking solve today man i got this i got this like somebody's fucking advising you, you dipshit. Like that's how it works. <laughs> Permanent bureaucrats. You mean people with jobs? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. All right. Oh, he's, but he's not even close to finished. This is the new quotes again. Permanent government that is eroding democratic accountability in all contemporary welfare states. Predictably, it creates policies and shapes institutions in ways that benefit its own interests. Again, I cannot stress enough that he is referring to the people that have jobs that advise politicians. <laughs> That's what he's talking about. Like, when you fucking, like, your city councilor, like, they listen to city planners. They don't just go build a road here because, like, you know, <laughs> no, they like, got they, it. Fucking... they used to be a dentist. Right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Since the adoption of official bilingualism, the size and scope of the federal government has expanded from a budget of $15 billion in 1970 to over $355 billion today. Man. We're not going to adjust that for inflation, though, just so you guys know. Like, it's clearly we're spending, like, 800,000 times more than we used to. Something, Yeah, something fishy that it would increase that much over a 50-year period. Yeah, over... (laughs) The world hasn't changed much in 50 years, too, so, like, like, I get it. Yeah. Uh, Over this uh, same time period, the the size of civil service has increased 50% from just under 200,000 in 1970 to 290,000 today. What is he flexing about there? Yeah, that's like, that seems to me to keep up with population growth. Yeah, like... If anything, that's a cut. That's what I'm saying. He's saying that there's, Mm -hmm. like, whatever it is, like, 30 times the budget and only 50% more people working for the government like is that isn't he shouldn't he be happy about that like i thought these guys like loved small government like we had two hundred thousand civil servants in 1981 and now we only have or 1970 and now we only have two hundred ninety thousand. that's fucked up we should have more (laughs) yeah Yeah. i do like uh that that last sentence is like at the senior levels the figure is higher but not publicly available and it's like he leaves it on like a sinister note like, yeah. like, it's like, why are they trying to hide? Why are yeah. they trying to hide from patriotic Albertans? This elite few bilingual people running our country. No, but then he says almost half are designated as bilingual. Forty-three percent. Bro, you can download Duolingo. You can get a you can get a, a foot in the door there. It's not hard to become one of this, uh, but, this exclusive but, elite. But he's saying on the one hand that this cabal of bilingual people control <laughs> the civil service, <laughs> but on the other hand, he's like, I mean, it's only forty three percent. 
<laughs> so it's it is like, higher at Etsy levels. <laughs> I feel like we should mention that Jason fucking Kenny even learned French for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, and he's from Oakville. God bless that man. Um, just like Oakville's finest, just a doughy idiot that uh, couldn't cut it in Ottawa, and so he he parachuted in to Alberta and then became premier and uh, is like totally running on this grassroots Alberta thing. But he's from the richest suburb of Toronto. Um, you should see him in his Wranglers. <laughs> oh God! Does he ever wear a cowboy hat? Oh yeah! Oh fuck yeah, but, man! But, it's like, but you I have mean, to. all politicians in Alberta wear cowboy hats. Like, I'm not—that's not a joke. Like, you <laughs> go, to, you go to Stampede without a yeah. cowboy hat. It's like the AIDS ribbon in Seinfeld. <laughs> it is totally. <laughs> but yeah, you just get some like macho Latino guys yelling at you. Um, Who doesn't want to wear the ribbon? Yeah, yeah. Except, <laughs> except they're like white, like middle-aged men who support Wexit. Yeah. Who the fuck's least... not wearing this hat? <laughs> <laughs> the horses won't respect you, and if you don't can have you that imagine, hat... Can you imagine if Rachel Notley went to Stampede without a hat? Or, like, wearing, like, a fedora or something. Like, she would have been assassinated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that would have been, like, the straw that broke the camel's back. I, I'll, if I ever be, like, if the world ever changes a lot and I become a politician and I, like, win a seat in Alberta somewhere, I'll wear a fucking cowboy hat to stampede, but I'm going to wear, like, fishnets and, like, paint my nails and fuck. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be awkward as fuck for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, on one hand, bad. On the other hand, yeah. cowboy hat. So you're at, that's <laughs> I wore the hat. <laughs> but uh, bilingualism is more than just proficiency in French and geography. It entrenches the belief that a central priority of the federal government is to preempt the separatist threat by giving Quebecers a disproportionate presence and influence in the national government. Francophone civil servants are the immediate beneficiaries of this policy. Anglophone civil servants who manage to survive the government's multilingual bilingualism training program emerge with this deeply entrenched belief. Survive? Holy shit. Dude. Yeah, this is multi-year some... bilingualism. Yeah, this is like this is like Anglophone genocide considered. Yeah, yeah, I was say that. Yeah. Do they not have like? Do they not have access to like Rosetta Stone or some shit? Like, what do they mean multi-year bilingual <laughs> bilingualism training program? Like, <sighs> what does that even mean? I don't. Is that, is that like a French class? Is that what he's talking about? I yeah. think so. Yeah. <laughs> wow, it's a violence. It's a. It was a. It was a, an official re-education program to make uh, make government bureaucrats think that uh, bilingualism was actually good, even though it's it's affecting Alberta for some reason. Oh, I see. It's a brainwashing program for civil servants. Yes. Yes. I got it. I got it. Yeah. yeah they even do the like Ludvico method from a Clockwork Orange. They like strap them to a gurney and like force them to just watch French words like flat, just pop bon up on cop, bad cop on TV the entire time, just flashing. Yeah, just like, you hey, we're kind of different, but it's the same. It, it's just on a loop until you understand French. Like no subtitles. That is like Wexit hell. 
Anyways, we're almost done this uh, turd salad. So as a result, this bureaucracy's advice uh, to cabinet ministers, as well as administration, as well as administrative decisions, are made through an ideological lens that prioritizes national unity, and national unity is understood as keeping Quebecers happy. The concerns of Western Canada, quotes or brackets, and Atlantic Canada are decidedly secondary, as Donald Savoy observes. The votes for winning power in Ottawa are in Ontario and Quebec. The senior bureaucracy straddles the Ontario-Quebec border, and the national media speak from these two provinces. In other words, official bilingualism was never just about language. It was and is about the ideology of a Quebec-centric national unity that is and its promotion by a powerful and permanent bureaucracy. Um, do you guys want to take a wild guess as to uh, who... Donald Savoy is and what book he has a chapter in. Oh my god. Um I don't want to guess, but I do want to find out. Um well we'll see it when we get to the end, but it's uh called Moment of Truth. Oh. <laughs> How to think about Alberta's future. And uh would you believe that Savoy has a op-ed in the National Post talking about oh. Oh, one of the, the country's greatest minds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. That's all you had to say. That's yeah. all so, you had to say. So this oh, is a God. column adapted from a book quoting a person who wrote a column in the National Post who's also in the book. Uh, I think his column was also adapted from the book, right? I think that's what this series is. <laughs> I, I think it's, we actually just created a time loop. It's, <laughs> it's readings from this shitty book that nobody's going to buy. Ugh. I, I love the National Post because even when they they like are openly shills, they can't make money. Like <laughs> yeah, their 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 moment of truth is going to be the first quarter sales. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Marino, you want to polish this turd off? Oh yeah. Cool. This means that for Albertans and Western Canadians more generally, our concerns and priorities will always be secondary to those of Central Canada and the bum bum ba da Laurentian elites. <laughs> good on him. Good on Ted for uh, waiting until near the end of the column to use that term. I'm disappointed it didn't have triple parentheses around it, but I'll allow it. Since this is not going to change anytime soon, I have become a strong advocate for reforms that will increase Albertans' ability to be a self-governing, oh, here we go, by taking over programs that are currently administered by Ottawa, policing, pensions, and tax collection. So I'm encouraged by the Fair Deal panel's report and Alberta Premier Jason Kenney's response to the to develop these options over the next several years. At this point in Alberta's history, they are our best choice. Decisions made in Edmonton may not always be right, but at least they will be made by the people who speak the same language, live in our neighborhoods, share our concerns, and will have to live with the consequences of their decisions. What, uh. what politician ever lives with the consequences of their decisions? Also, Jason Kenney, from Oakville, grew up in Saskatchewan, lives in Alberta because his job is here. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, but also, like, again, this is full, this piece is full of these, like, wildly unself-aware assertions that Canada needs to buckle up and take responsibility <laughs> 
for itself. But not Alberta, right? Because yeah. <laughs> we've done that. We're fed up with taking responsibility for our actions, <laughs> even though we haven't. Ever. Yeah. At least, it, it, certainly not since I've lived here, but I... I <laughs> in my lifetime, I have watched Alberta go from demanding more support from Ottawa to demanding giving less support to Ottawa back to demanding support from Ottawa. And it's like the same volume of screeching, but it's like they just change like three words and it just seems to work. Well, it's a lot of the same people. Right? <laughs> like they just, they go, they go where the wind, where they feel the wind's blowing. Um, yeah. But that was a really bad piece. Um, and, you know, it can't be worse, right? <laughs> It can get worse than that. Yeah? Well, we've got another uh, exclusive excerpt in the National Post from Moment of Truth. uh, Written, uh, well, Scott, take us through it. So so this one, um, I thought this one, I I fucking seriously, like, was belly laughing from the get-go on this one. Because there's so much to unpack here. But this is from a man by the name of David J. Berkison. And it's called Securing an Independent Alberta. Oh, no. (laughs) And to aspire to provide as much security as possible to an independent Alberta, it is necessary to look at the geopolitical variables of this new political entity. And then he they repeat the same expert from the last one about building the firewall, separating. (laughs) This is all from moment of truth. No, no, that Canada's most respected thinkers. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that they have that above all, all the selections in this series. Well, of course, like, yes. This is this is this book we're trying to sell copies of to like our scared boomer readers. Yeah, and like believe me to the listeners today, like we're only reading you two. So if you like the like really well written, <laughs> well pointed out things here, go buy that book by all means. It's yeah. called Moment of Truth. You know. I think it's really gonna. I think it's gonna be something that becomes a historical, historically significant book. And de- definitely <laughs> buy it from Chapters Indigo, um, who right. is not involved in uh, attempting to crush a union drive right now. <laughs> so you want to support them? I'm gonna. I'll start reading it because I think the whole fucking hilariousness is like summed up in the first goddamn sentence. Two sentences, really. Every nation is faced with multiple security challenges that range from the need to protect against armed attack through internal subversion to the theft of intellectual property, <laughs> which Eric knows all too much about. In a night, this is the this is my favorite fucking part of the whole thing right here. In a 1943 paper titled A Theory of Human Motivation, American psychologist Abraham Maslow constructed a hierarchy of human needs. (laughs) Security was at the very top. (laughs) Yo, uh, friend of the show and uh, mayor of Medicine Hat, uh, Ted Clugston, loves to talk about Maslow's hierarchy for whatever reason. Every time I've seen him speak, he's like, well, you know, as in uh, Maslow's hierarchy, um, (laughs) we know that security is one of people's important needs, most important needs. 
Well, right. Now, I'm not a Maslow expert, though. Like, I, I I assumed security meant, like, you know, I have what I need. Like, I have a roof and, like, loved ones. And, like, I have the secure feeling of knowing that each day I have what I need. That's the security Maslow was talking about. I'm I'm pretty sure, right? You, like, You should ask our, our <laughs> friend Ted because he seems to know a lot about that and uh you know he did give you the middle finger once in public so um, <laughs> why wait why he gave me and my wife the thing well it's probably more to me but i was eating dinner with my wife and the the mayor very drunkenly on a thursday night at like six thirty, gave me the finger through a window at a restaurant he doesn't like me. I don't know what to say. Like, I'm not. Well, I'm not. I, I, my fans are like outside of Medicine Hat. You know what I mean? Like, when I started writing and doing what I'm doing, like, I knew that like the one place I'd get the least amount of love was in my own city. And so, when the mayor of that city spends two hours getting fucking wasted stewing about you, and then his big maneuver is to like shake his finger at you <laughs> did he knock on the window so you no, the best no the best part was is he walked past the window and he like shook his finger at us as he was walking by like mouthing the words like no 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 and then he walked like 30 feet away to the car that he was getting into and he was like no i'm not done and he walked all the way back and went turned and looked at me through the window and gave me the sideways middle finger and shook it with this like angry face at me and then fucking walked away and got in this car and i'm not kidding it was thursday Man. at like 6 30 at night and this is like he was for sure trashed and like i can say that because there's no way that he wants anyone to think that he would have done this yeah. sober like, yeah no, he acts like that and, like generally and listeners google uh ted clugston dui um to um he, he likes find out more about him yeah. he likes he's not a great guy but like we don't have to. But when but he yeah, was, he, when he, he was, gave me the finger. When, when he was talking <laughs> the about sideways finger, the when sideways I've finger. heard yeah, him <laughs> talk about um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and security, it's been in the context of housing because Medicine Hat does have a decent housing program that right. he loves to mm. take full credit for and say Medicine Hat has no homeless people, um, mm. which we do. Uh, right. So that's a great way to say that the Medicine Hat mayor who gave me a drunken middle finger, <laughs> understands Maslow's hierarchy of needs better than David Ferguson believes that when, when, he, when Maslow wrote about security, he was talking about preventing armed attack. So anyway, <laughs> secu- put simply, nothing that we humans do, aspire to, enjoy, or utilize is possible unless we enjoy security. Security tops every other human need. That would be no less true for an independent Alberta than it would be for Canada as a whole or the United States or any country. Lesser countries. Right? To aspire to provide as much security as possible for the people of Alberta or Alberta and Saskatchewan if Saskatchewan decides to secede. It is necessary to look at the geopolitical variables of this new political identity. Yeah, that's another thing about Wexit, as I hinted at earlier. Um, They don't even know what they want. Like, it depends who you ask. And that's why, aside from the overlap, it's comparable to QAnon, right? Because some of them want Alberta to be independent 
on its own. Others think Saskatchewan will join us. Some think the BC, like I've seen Wexit maps that include BC, (laughs) except for the lower mainland in the island. Um, And uh, Peter Downing, uh, who we talked about earlier, the the founder of the Wexit movement, uh, has recently said that no, he wants he wants Alberta to be part of the states. That was the plan all along. Absolutely. So now this is where it gets very typical Albertan because, um, and not that Canada wouldn't be an ally, but this guy is very positive that like we're going to separate from Canada and then their military are going to hook us up. <laughs> Just remember yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a local reference in here. Alberta and Saskatchewan will continue to exist in a friendly North American environment. Invasion from <laughs> invasion from North, East, South, or West is unthinkable. You're right, but what the f- <laughs> invasion from the North, East, South, or West is unthinkable. The ties of commerce, trade, investment, etc. that now bind most North American centers to other North American centers will continue to exist. The new political identity or entity will be a liberal democracy with strong capitalistic capitalist instincts. Thus, it will not need more than a small token military. <laughs> oh, fuck, that's you're funny giving to me. away your hand. Like, if you <laughs> say your military is token, here's our military. It's more decorative than anything else. <laughs> it's like a mantelpiece. We will not need more than a small token military with a limited expeditionary capability more to show solidarity with its Canadian and American neighbors than any other factor. Because that's all we could do. It's like, hey, do you want to you wanna take our nine guys with you on that fucking mission you're doing? Alberta is currently home to several major military bases. Cold Lake is one of two main Royal Canadian Air Force bases. Edmonton is home to an entire brigade group. <laughs> Wainwright is the main automated training base for the Canadian Army. Suffield not only houses important Canadian military research facilities, but also contains within it the British Army Training Unit Suffield, where British armoured formations train annually. All these bases sh- should be leased by Alberta to Canada. Okay, First of all, is that how that fucking works? Like, if we separate, like, all of a sudden we own federal property that, like, is not ours right now? Like, CFB Suffield is, like, federal property. Like, we don't fucking own that. That's Canada's. So, like, if we separate, do we just, we now own that land and we're going to kick them out unless they sign a lease? And if they don't sign that lease and want to stay, they're going to have to deal with our token army. <laughs> the very intimidating token army. And, and, so, and by, the more important the- thing that I, I'm worried about losing as a Canadian that lives outside of Alberta is the movie theater in Wainwright that used to be a, a bunker. Is that a thing? That's yeah. the fucking raddest thing I've ever yeah. heard. Yeah, you can't well, have that. Yeah, That's ours. We'll need that <laughs> no. uh, after Wexit. <laughs> I will enlist to make sure you don't get to keep that. Yeah, but um, after Wexit, we are going to turn uh, British Columbia into East Prussia. Uh, (laughs) We, of course, will be Prussia, and we all know (laughs) that um, Prussia still exists today. 
they just dropped the P from their name. We're just going to reenact the Northwest Northwest Mounted Police. Like, we've already got Fort McMurray, Fort McLeod. We're secure. Yeah. We, <laughs> Fort, and also, CFB You're Suffield. never going to get in here. CFB Suffield, which is located just about half hour, 45 minutes north of Medicine Hat, is the biggest uh, military base in the Commonwealth. So uh, look out. Absolutely. We may we may have a small token military, but they are mighty. Yeah, like we'll have this big we have this big air, vast grassland that's intimidating. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All of these bases should be leased by Alberta to Canada, the United States, or Great Britain with the proviso that the small milit- Alberta military would be entitled to train at one of these facilities on a regular basis. Indeed, Alberta ought to undertake to raise and sustain a battalion-sized force to operate in conjunction with the Canadian or American military. (laughs) Security, quote-unquote, today involves many more issues than would have been the case two or three decades ago. Security for Alberta must begin with, and this is where he fucking just ruins the whole separatist argument by listing 500 things that we'd have to pay for. <laughs> no, but secure. But once we conquer BC, they're going to let us build the Trans Mountain Pipeline Extension, and then we'll be able to pay for all these things because oil um, isn't going out of style. Everybody wants oil, that Alberta oil, right? Um, it's, uh, like, I do like that this, this article just operates under the assumption that, um, after you separate from a country, that country is going to be more than willing to cooperate no matter what. Like, I feel like, right. like the, the whole thing with Brexit was like, they never thought about what would happen after they actually separated. And they're like, oh yeah, the EU will, we'll figure out a deal. This thing's going to be done in a week. And then they were shocked when, uh, politicians from outside of England didn't really want to give them what they wanted. Right? Well, and here you have constantly these separatist folks like our very own MLA Drew Barnes, who's totally all over an independent Alberta. They constantly talk about all of these uh, arrows in our quiver, I think fucking even Kenny said in something recently. Like, we have these arrows in our quiver like to do fucking what with like like this idea that if we if they don't give us what we want well we'll just restrict the flow of goods through alberta well okay like i imagine they'll never retaliate by restricting the flow of goods into alberta no they'll never think of that there'll there'll be nothing canada or the u.s can do in retaliation to our quiver of arrows yeah i'm just picturing uh jason kenny doing archery in a cowboy hat right in a cowboy hat. So anyway, so let's list. This is the list of things that we will need to have a secure Alberta. The safeguarding of Alberta's borders, maintaining the security of all national infrastructure, sustaining criminal law within Alberta, securing Alberta, including its citizens and its corporate entities and private organizations against the theft of intellectual property. What intellectual providing- property? We don't wow. have much of that, trust me. Like yeah, we're like Jason we, Kenny's SoundCloud account. Yeah. After after everyone in Alberta with intellect moves to the to Canada when we separate, the intellectual property is going to be on, to steal from Jason Kenny himself. We're not going to have the best human capital. Yeah. <laughs> 
securing Alberta, including its citizens and its corporate entities of pro- against the th- theft of intellectual property, providing oversight of all police and judicial operations, deploying an effective highway patrol or Alberta Sheriff's Force to guard law and order outside Alberta's cities, developing or coordinating a capacity for special f- police operations throughout Alberta when necessary, <laughs> the establishment of penitentiaries, the safeguarding of cyberspace within Alberta, and the protection of business businesses and industries in Alberta from any type of illegal interference in the operation of those enterprises. So, like, not a lot. It's pretty simple. <laughs> a couple guys with some guns, fucking furry hats, and we're done. We're, we're protected. Oh, my God. It's Some of these things, I mean... Shouldn't there already be some sort of protection of businesses and industries in Alberta? Shouldn't they be protecting things? Well, that's why we have a war room. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah, that's true. Like after Wexit, the war room is going to be literally a war room. Yeah, man. Like nobody does panels like Alberta. You guys think you guys have a, a leg up on us? Wait till you see us form another panel. Yeah, oh, they, have I have no idea. I don't know if you guys know this, but there are. I mean, I can think of a few things like making poor people miserable and pissing off uh, salaried professionals um, who are unionized. Um, but other than that. There are a few things Jason Kenney loves more than to create panels to come to predetermined conclusion. It's funny how, like, everybody that, like, once we separate, like, all these, you know, like, all the doctors that we'll ever need or teachers or whatever, they're all going to volunteer to stay here for less money. Like, they're going to just be like, yeah, man, I'm totally, I'm in. in. I have no interest in leaving, you know. (laughs) Good luck. Don't they want to be part of history? (laughs) <laughs> exactly i want to be part of like i want to be part of history in the same like terms of like that when steve buscemi wanted to just sit and watch the world die in armageddon that's how i want to be part of history i just want to see what happens like <laughs> front row seat right so an independent alberta will need a robust cybersecurity infrastructure to guard the privacy of its citizens and the intellectual property of its corporations the theft of intellectual property is the main activity of global espionage today. A new idea stolen can mean the loss of huge investment capital and the illicit transfer of that idea to other nations, saving them both time and money. Let me save the rest of the world some trouble. So our entire idea is like, hey, can we make it with oil? That's our idea. Like we're whatever whatever you think you're going to hack in and steal. We're trying to build it with bitumen. That's it. <laughs> I am stealing that idea. So, Alberta, <laughs> your days are numbered. Yeah, Can like, unless you guys... no doctors? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> like any modern nation, Alberta will have within its borders a vast and expensive infrastructure that must be maintained and constantly improved. Although there is some marginal danger that parts of the Alberta infrastructure could be physically attacked or blockaded, the greatest danger is, once again, cyber attacks that could put the lights out in a major city, endanger the water supply, or disrupt air traffic. Once again, Alberta will need to put in place the tools necessary to guard against such threats. What the fuck, man? So, like, 
you're selling separation of Alberta to people by telling them that if we separate, we're going to be so fucking under like insecure that the whole world will be able to crash our planes and fucking steal our identity from the comfort of their own home. That's what this entire article is saying. But hey, we should we should do it anyway. <laughs> Once again, Alberta will need to put in place the tools necessary to guard against such threats. We have seen the impact of pandemic across the globe. Such pandemics are not frequent, but they produce immense social, psychological, and economic damage. Alberta must be ready in future to fight a new pandemic with new pet medical knowledge and the protective equipment that will keep Alberta safe. So we're going to need to get some masks, too. Like, stock up on your N95s. Well, and police uh, tanks. I think yes. that... More tanks than It's masks. okay. Like, I think we've got a contract with Old Navy to handle our protective equipment. So we're good. <laughs> That's not a joke, by the way. That is not a <laughs> That's actually for real. They, they are. The economy of Alberta must be safeguarded from actors who would penetrate it with malevolent intent through buyouts, mergers, or acquisitions of major Alberta corporations such that the administration of those companies is not changed from the pursuit of profit in a free market to the pursuit of a foreign political agenda. That's a sentence for you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, a lot lot going on there. So this kind of... It sounds like they're trying to build a socialist utopia in the middle of Alberta. Left exit. <laughs> Left exit is amazing. I mean, I've never seen mm. uh, someone uh, someone from Alberta fe- uh, question the validity of free market. I feel like that's I feel like that's got a better chance of being more like the last time we heard about national socialism than <laughs> it is about the socialism you guys than we would think about. So I would be careful on like which direction we end up going there. I don't want to say anything and get myself canceled, but yeah, no, I I think that's a that's a very fair uh, assertion to make. I I just I'm shocked at um, a hardcore Alberta stan, um, <laughs> just like hitting the free market like that. I can't believe they would question the validity of it. Well, no, like we just have to be able to still participate and have the flow of the profit we need to be able to have the free market flowing throughout alberta but we also need to make sure that albertans take care of each other as long as they speak the same language (laughs) not to not to like overlap the two pieces but they were from the same book so i mean (laughs) yeah they're just it's like a dog's breakfast of just terrible ideas hey man like we're gonna totally everyone should have everything they need as long as you're white and are already from here And finally, Alberta will have to guard against the penetration of Alberta by malevolent foreign entities that would take over broadcasting and news corporations in order to propagandize within Alberta. (laughs) Sort of like, I think what he's saying is he doesn't want to see what happened to Post Media happen in Alberta. Is that correct? Yeah, it's really... I, I I give uh, full props to uh, National Post a pin- comment editor Matt Gurney for allowing this uh, type of harsh criticism of th- Post Media in the pages of National Post. I, I think full because that's what that is, right? That's not. No, they're very adamant here. You cannot have foreign entities influence our news organizations. 
Post media said that. <laughs> Moving on. None of these measures is impossible. This is where he fuck again. Like, he just basically says we can't do it in the last sentence. None of these measures is impossible or even particularly difficult, but with a population base of 4.3 to 5.5 million people, if Saskatchewan joins, they will be very expensive. Currently, Alberta enjoys most of these measures, but they are paid for across a population base of 37 million people. That will not be the case in an independent Alberta. That is literally the end of this fucking piece. And if I was to retort this piece, I could start with the last paragraph as my retort. Mm, You're trying to imagine paying for things with four and a half million people that you now get because you have 37 million people helping you f- fund it, you fucking moron. Just the, that top sentence of the last graph, none of these measures is impossible. Now, I don't want to be pedantic, but is that not a grammatical uh, brain fart there? These, yeah, these measures are all possible is what he wants to say. Like, yeah. Damn, yeah. I can't believe Matt Gurney missed that. Just up at the the cottage barbecuing salmon for all the friends that didn't show up again. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. Uh, No, Scott, you should uh, pitch a rebuttal uh, to these pieces to Gurney. Uh, Tell him we sent you. And uh... (laughs) you guys are big. He's big. He's a big fan of the show. I take it. He he replies to us on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, he uh, he declined our request for uh, a guest spot. Like Terry Glavin kind of replies or whatever. Like he actually, because our our most recent, like our last episode, is about him, and we tagged him on Twitter, and he didn't respond. And then our guest uh, Abdul um, tagged him in his quote tweet of it, and no response because he's a coward. coward. Yeah. Yeah. So before I get it out of my head, like I want to say about this piece because the thing that was killing me about this piece as I was reading it is like. It's again. It's supposed to be a reasons why we should separate. But this is literally. If, if you look at it, if you just look at it with like some sort of objectivity, you know, it is constantly listing all of the things that Alberta would have to take care of in order to be its own country. And he never even left the subject of fucking physical security. <laughs> Like, that's literally just physical security. We haven't even talked about all of the other things that are provided for us by being a province in Canada that we would have to provide for ourselves that don't have nothing to do with our small token military. Well, after Wexit, Uh we will all be um, soldier peasants. Like, Like, we will be part of the Alberta Liberation Army, all... Uh, four million of us. Yes. Yeah, we won't need things like education or arts. No, or no, man. Dude, you learn everything you need to know in the people's struggle. All right. Did any of you feel particularly strongly about one of these columns being the more damaging one to our, our national discourse or provincial discourse? Well, I think the first one was probably more damaging to discourse in the sense that it was like literally dis- <laughs> it was it was talking about like like it was about like 
Eastern French people should get the fuck out of our lives. Like, that's essentially what that whole thing was saying. The second one was just dumb. Like, no one, not even Wexit people are going to read that security thing and, like, think that, and not laugh at small token military and shit like that. Like, to even have that second one is, I feel like he's trolling the yeah. book. Like, maybe this David Berkeston's the coolest fucking guy in the world. We just <laughs> don't know. He's doing a bit. Maybe he's trolling. <laughs> because definitely Morton's was more damaging. Yeah, they're tough to compare. They're very different types of bad columns. The first one was more rooted in a cynical kind of racist and elitist, not elitist, anti-elitist reality and is more realistically divisive, whereas the second one, as uh, Scott said, is just absolutely brain dead or possibly brilliant. Yes. So crazy, it may just work. (laughs) I got to tell you, I got to tell you, like, I, it is comforting to have been invited on this show as a guest and not because as a columnist this is the way you want to get on this show right like there's only a one other way to get on this show and that's to uh, have your shit read and i don't ever want you guys reading one of my pieces <laughs> well i don't think you've ever written anything that that would warrant an invitation onto the show for another reason we'll, we'll dig up his problematic old tweets though and, and just read them but we'll invite you on to defend yourself because we would love we would love if uh, Berkison or uh, other doughy white guy um, would come on and discuss their ideas with us, in, in, engage in the marketplace of ideas. But fuck, I would love to interview Rex Murphy about the the dog shit three words that he writes every single time, like global warming. Nah, like I would love to. I'd love to interview him about that garbage column he does every three months, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, Rick Rick Bell would be the the ultimate for me. Like, if I could just like get that guy in a room, like he wouldn't know even what I look like, probably, right? So if I like, I could pretend to be somebody like a big fan or whatever. I would fucking love to sit at a booth in a pub and like just drink a few beer with that guy, <laughs> just get him like opening right up before I let him in on like who I am or how I think about him. Because fuck, man. he used to follow me on Twitter. Uh, suffice it to say, he no longer does. Yeah, he he's fucking hilarious, man. There's nothing like I mean, as an old guy, like there's nothing like an old guy that like tries to relate to the the young folks by saying things that they used to, young folks said like 20 years ago. <laughs> like recently he recently he ended a column with True Dat and I fucking just <laughs> died. Like I thought it was the greatest thing I've ever seen. True Dat. And I was like, "Yep." Yeah. Rick, <laughs> right on cue, Rick. Rick Bell the Alberta is champion. Alberta is treating us fairly. Not. <laughs> Psych. <laughs> or I should say Ottawa. Uh, Canada. Yeah, that's you get right. The yeah, joke. You get the joke. Yeah. Yeah. Like you get Michael Cooper counting fucking words in the speech. Oh, yeah. You guys want to talk about that a bit? The throne speech and how there's nothing in it for Alberta. Jason Kenney is very disappointed. Um, he had such high hopes for it because he's always... Um, had a great rapport with Justin Trudeau's never mm. insulted his intellect or Jason Kenny likes this is Jason Kenny. It's like it's a nice country you guys got there. Shame if something happened to it. <laughs> that's kind of how he is, right? right? And like he's like, "Oh, no, I'm a patriot totally, but hey man, and I really ex- I, I'm really excited about this throne speech. But if it doesn't say this, 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 and this, all of you are going to have a problem with national unity." Yeah, and then it's like 
It's like the Eric Andre meme, right? Where he shoots... Uh, Hannibal, yeah. Yeah, he... <laughs> right. And it's like, why would the federal government do this? Yeah. <laughs> who, who killed Canada? It's uh, It's been wild watching as an outsider, and I'm sorry what's happening to your province right now between the the medical professionals leaving in dro- droves to the, the doubling and tripling down on a, a failing industry to just like the outright shit takes that get get published in um alberta media on on a very consistent basis i mean that that's kind of like a a canada-wide thing at this point but i mean there's just people like lauren gunter and rick bell and and various other unnamed uh i guess trash can dannies in there um there's like a special can uh, there's a special type of garbage pundit well, and the funny, th- it's a great point time to bring up because um, you guys wouldn't know, but Ryan Jesperson is a, was a afternoon radio host on a global affiliate radio mm-hmm. station in Edmonton. And it came out today that he was fired or let go or whatever. And he's, he's actually more like centrist, tries to be really balanced, but he's been quite critical of the, of the UCP and he, he's quite critical of the far right, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, like it has happened at some of the national newspapers, Alberta has sort of had this interesting systematic removal of any of the journalists that may do critical work of the UCP. There was columnists for the journal that were had wrote a couple things after, like I had written and Jeremy had written, then a couple other things. Boom, immediately, Garen was the one. He was immediately reassigned. Yeah, well, and they, they also took out the managing editor of the Edmonton Journal, who from my understanding is very well respected, and I know from personal right. experience is a very good guy, Mark Ipe, um, and they they sent him on some mystery assignment for post media, and I can only imagine what that was. But they took him out because he didn't want his paper to be a mouthpiece for these wealthy Toronto interests that are trying to stir up resentment in Alberta. And uh, um, Graham Thompson, too. He was another one that was... Uh, Paul Simon, though, did get appointed to the Senate by Trudeau. Bought out. Well, she got appointed to the Senate by Trudeau, so, like, she kind of... Are you talking about Trudeau appointed Senator Paul Simons? Yeah. In (laughs) former uh, Edmonton (laughs) Journal columnist. Um, But, yeah. uh, Well, Danielle Smith at, uh, like, she's now the only one left at, like, so Joel McFarland, he was removed in Calgary. Was he? Like, um, yes, like, he he left for, he left for three weeks to have, for his uh, baby was being born. And, but when he came to, went to come back, they said his services would no longer be required. And they gave him some sort of, like, a COVID kind of excuse or whatever. But, I mean... Like I said, it's always the one that has some sort of progressiveness to them. Like mm-hmm. Joe is fair and balanced, right? Like he tries to he try he he's not afraid to say that like conservatism isn't like the fucking be all and end all, and he's not afraid to be critical. Well, what happens? Every one of those guys g- goes, you know. And I'm honestly like the only one left after Jesperson is gone, like, who the fuck else in in Alberta is writing like that or doing stuff like that? At a daily like, paper, I'm yeah. trying to think. Not at, not at a mainstream outlet, right? 
Like Post Media owns fucking everything and they're all uh, American Republican shitheads at the top well no kidding like it becomes propaganda like this is what this is about like you don't again like you don't have to have a holocaust to have fascism like and it fucking bothers me that people refuse like we're not allowed to study uh the rise of nazi germany because like unless someone's threatening to kill people like in genocide then it's not the same thing. But you know what? Use of propaganda should be studied immensely because the Nazis were fucking killer at it. And one of the things they did was take over all of the national media and make sure every single media outlet was offering the same message. Well, you can say that, like, I don't, like, yeah, our right-wing politicians aren't Nazis. You're right. But they are fucking taking over the media and selling one message. Congratulations, you're, you're not a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, right. But you're still using propaganda <laughs> tactics to sell a shitbag message. And that is a fascist tactic. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the creeping is, fascism and- of, of just North America, or in North America, is, is like very observable. And it's it's... I mean, it's worries, worrisome for me because I'm not a fascist. But I'm sure there's fascists out there that are very happy with how things are going. So uh, shout out to them. Yeah, shout out to... Uh, it's your time. Shout out to <laughs> Gavin McInnes, friend of the show. And all the fascist listen- listeners to the pod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all our fascists. I'm sure listeners. there's tons of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Like, I think, Scott, this was the perfect episode to have you on. I'm sorry it took 21 episodes Thank to you. have you, but... Please come back. This has been great. Yeah, Thank right. you so much. Well, I appreciate it. And I, uh, it's been good fun uh, joking back and forth about how you guys have been um, such haters of free speech. Because really, it's been, I've been trying to get on this show for months. I, I gave up. But no, it was awesome. I, was, I loved being here. And you're right. Alberta stuff is probably the right time to have me. So. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, is there anything good this week? Anyone uh, write a column or... Uh, We both did. I know you wrote something recently. I wrote... I have my column laying it out for anyone that had no idea who I was before they started listening today. Um, I write a column for the Medicine Hat News. comes out most Saturdays. It's called Laying It Out. Um, It's just generally me and my soapbox. So uh, if you like um, listening to somebody go after these conservative politicians a little bit um that's what i do and uh, i had one come out today that was some random thoughts about various things from throne speeches to racist rallies these kinds of things but uh yeah maybe go check that today out. being last week uh, september 26th yeah. jeremy did you read anything good the the past week i did read something good and i also wrote something that um <laughs> it's, i think it's good. is good um, so it is good. Uh, Rick O'Shea uh, released today a piece about Maryam Haddad's oh, weird uh, disqualification from the Green Party race because she didn't endorse the BC Greens, mm-hmm. um, which was widely um, that was assumed to be why she was kicked out. But there was no transparency or anything. She's back in the race. I actually just sent in my uh, Green Party ballot today. She was my second choice. Uh, number one being uh, the man, uh, Dimitri Lascaris. Mm-hmm. But um, 
it's a, a good story called Anatomy of an Expulsion, 48 Hours in the Life of the Green Party by friend of the show, Ethan Cox. Uh, yes. So that was quite good. And I'm going to link to it in the show notes. I also wrote a piece that sort of uh, very Alberta centric uh, for a great publication called The Sprawl, which is based in Calgary, but they're sort of trying to uh, do as much provincial stuff as they can. Uh, it's called The Education of Doug Schweitzer. And uh, for listeners outside of Alberta, I would sort of compare Doug Schweitzer to Lindsey Graham <laughs> in that, like, not minus the Lady G stuff. Essentially, in this analogy, uh, Kenny is Trump and Doug Schweitzer ran against him for the leadership. He attacked Kenny for being this... Uh, you know, import from Ontario who's trying to bring the divisiveness of federal politics to Alberta and how the Conservative Party needs to modernize and be unambiguously pro-LGBTQ, pro-woman um, in, in terms of addressing the wage gap. Uh, he lost the leadership <laughs> race, which um, if you want to look into it, there's, I mean, I talk about it in my story. So there's a whole bunch of shenanigans there that he spoke out uh, about quickly and briefly and then he ran um under the ucp banner as an mla was elected appointed justice minister and then became kenny's uh just like most aggressive psycho fan um so that's in the sprawl uh check it out listeners uh eric marino what, what, do you guys read anything good write anything good uh, I was actually going to also recommend the Ethan Cox piece, but uh, so I will. I will also recommend that because I don't. <laughs> I don't have a lot of uh, uh, time to read my own like th- things that I want to read. But listeners, hopefully, that may change in the near future. So stay tuned for that if everything goes according to plan. There is a there are very strong. A hate read from Jonathan Kay, further um, solidifying his point that the biggest thing that we should all be worried about right now in time of a global pandemic and uh, systemic racism and uh, growing inequality between the rich and the poor in our country and the world abroad. Um, the biggest concern that we should have is uh, political correctness. Um, it's always a good laugh. Jonathan Kay is one of the dumbest people that <laughs> completely <laughs> is completely um he's invulnerable he's Teflon I mean what does he want to what does he like miss saying the R word or something like I'm oh he he, d- he does yeah um, 100%. yeah uh, yeah <laughs> okay but um he's talking about uh how Nathan Cullen the uh NDP yep. former NDP. MP I think who was yep. playing on yep. running for the BC NDP in the current election uh in didn't get the nomination because they want to prioritize uh, people of color and women. And, uh, you know, John Kay says, you know, the left used to be about the working class. And now they're just about <laughs> intersectionality. Like, now they're about brown yeah, people? Yeah. I don't it's, understand. Uh, yeah. It's a treat. Um, we're also, I mean, that's sort of a, wow. a little plug for our upcoming bonus episode, uh, which will be about that Jonathan Kay piece. Yes, Woo, yes, 100%. So. And, uh, you know, if you donate to our Patreon, you get to the top tier of uh, donations, you can come on the podcast. If you pay us, you can talk about, like, Pizzagate and how vaccines are 
microchipping us. Um, yeah, or just your like yeah. VCR collection. Like we don't care. Just pay yeah, us. we're we're yeah. actually rebranding as the world's only uh, pro free speech podcast now that Jonathan Kay and Doctor Deborah So's uh, wrong think. Is uh, on hiatus. Well, now that you guys had me on, I can at least drop the like secret campaign to destroy you for being anti. <laughs> You'll drop the lawsuit. Yeah, well, I mean, it's time, right? Like, I've, I've made. My well, point. we do have an yeah. HR investigation uh, underway <laughs> right, right now to figure out how uh, that happened. Um, mm-hmm. Marino is all good. Uh, maybe uh, going to get fired. Uh, it will be fun. Stay tuned and you'll find out. Very cool. All right. All right, gentlemen. I will, uh, I guess I'll talk to, to all of you soon, but Scott, thank you again for, for coming on the show. Thank you guys. I appreciate being here. It was like great time. Actually enjoyed myself. Awesome. All right. Take care guys. Bye. Bye.